Why don't we start on uh, 208. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We'll be there. Let's get the stream going here. Pardon me? Oh, we're live already. Okay, well, there we go. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Keith Heights Baptist Church. And uh, we've enjoyed the Sunday school hour already. Looking forward to uh, the preaching time here at 11 o'clock. And uh, we're going to sing a few songs together, if you don't mind. Number 208, if you have a songbook. If not, it's Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? And if you're at home, maybe you can look that up on Google and get the words and sing along with us. All right? So we're going to sing it together, uh, all four verses this morning. Number 208. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansions bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments... Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Uh, let's see, did we do the fourth verse? That, we didn't do the fourth verse, did we? I don't know why. My brain got thinking on that. It got to the end of the course. I can understand how Brother Keith feels sometimes. He forgets what verse he's on. So I got thinking on something as I was thinking through that chorus, and I thought, man, did we just sing the fourth or the third? So, all right, well, let's sing the fourth then. Ready? And even if we did, it'll sing. It'll sound good twice, right? Here we go. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And I don't know about you, but I was thinking on this, that, uh, you know, God, God has given us His salvation freely. And uh, there comes a time, I think, where Satan certainly tries to accuse us before God. He's the great accuser. And how oftentimes that our, our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, steps forward and says, put that on my account. And, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that he imputes righteousness uh, and the fact that when God, the just judge, and we talked about him this week in our devotion time about his justice, when God, who is a just God, looks at me to judge, he sees the pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's spotless. It's without blemish. And while I'm not spotless and without blemish, I'm thankful I have a Savior who was and that he puts that record over top of mine and allows me to look as though I had never sinned. By the way, uh, that doesn't give us excuse to go out here and just sin all we want to, knowing that that's the case. It ought to be a heart of gratitude that causes us to strive to please him as much as possible. And what a song this morning. Uh, all right, number 198. 198. And uh, there's power in the blood of the Lamb. And again, we'll sing uh, all four verses this morning. I'll try to remember which verse we're on this time. So, number uh, 198. Would 
would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen. That'll be all we're going to do this morning. Thank you, Miss Carmen, for playing for us this morning. And, uh, you know, in the book of Hebrews... It talks about that when the Lord Jesus Christ came as the once-for-all sacrifice, that it no longer takes the blood of calves and goats. In fact, the blood of calves and goats could never save us. It was just a symbol looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ in the expression of faith. And yet the Bible says that when He took His own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, that it was something that had to be done only once, once for all. And the great power of the gospel is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for the sins of the whole world. And He's done it once for all. He doesn't have to be re-crucified. He doesn't have to be re-sacrificed every time there's more sin in the world. But He's done it once for all and offers to each of us the free gift of eternal life. If you're uh, listening this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to let you know this morning that the Lord loves you. God loves you so much. He didn't come to condemn you. He he knew that our condemnation was already there because of sin. He came to save us from it. And so many times I think people in the world look at God as a God that's come to judge them. While God is a just God and He certainly cannot tolerate sin and has to pass judgment on sin, it's been by our choice that that sin exists. And He's come to give us life, the Bible says, and to give it to us more abundantly. And I hope that you've taken advantage of of His free gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, if you're trying to make your good outweigh your bad, you're not going to make it. The Bible says that our righteousness, the very best that we can do, the righteousnesses that we have, It says they are nothing more than filthy rags in the sight of God. If we're going to make it to heaven, it's not going to be by our good works. I'll be honest, it's not going to be by the church attendance or the fact that we belong to a particular church. It's not going to be because of our baptism. It's going to be because we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, put our faith in Him. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that before, that you will take advantage of that today. That today would be the day that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, ask Him to be your Savior. And uh, I'll say this, I love the concept of faith. I've preached on faith before, I've preached on repentance before. And can I tell you this, 
they're two sides of the same coin. Because when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we lived in sin, we were an enemy, we were enmity with God, the Bible says. You cannot serve both masters. You're serving one or the other. And you cannot turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith without turning from something. And so there will be faith and repentance both. And I want to encourage you in that, uh, that you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Turn to Him. And, uh, you know, sin and Satan makes sin and the life of sin look so good. He makes it seem like that's where the fun is. That's where the enjoyment is. But can I tell you this? Sin is always a, a, a taskmaster that is burdensome, that will entangle us, that will cause us to go into bondage. But Jesus is the one that when we take His yoke upon us, the Bible says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And that's where we find, the Bible says, rest unto our souls. And so I want to encourage you in that today. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Before we get into that, let's have a word of prayer and ask for the Lord to bless the service today. And those that are listening by way of streaming, I appreciate you tuning in. And uh, today is Palm Sunday. And the time that we reflect about uh, preparing for the Lord's resurrection celebration, which will be next week. And we thank the Lord for the time that He is resurrected. Had there been no resurrection, then Jesus would not have been who He claimed to be, and we of all people would be most miserable. We'd be lost in our sins with no hope. And praise the Lord for it. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. And Lord, already we have enjoyed the time spent around Your Word, studying and learning from it, and pray that You'll continue to bless, that Your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. Lord, that He will direct and guide us. And Lord, while we are certainly not all that we should be, we come to You with a heart that longs to be. We long to be more of what You would want in us. We long to be one that would please You. And so, Lord, this morning we come to You with an expression of our dependence upon You. A dependence to preach, a dependence to hear, and to allow Your Word to do its work in our hearts and our lives. And I pray that You would... Enable your Holy Spirit and that he will enable our hearts to be sensitive to him and that we would have uh, his leading and directing in the message this morning. And bless all that we say and do here today that it will bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter number 21. Uh, again, we're going to uh, be thinking and focusing on the idea leading up to the Lord's resurrection. And uh, there's been, I was actually listening to uh, a discussion that was had between a couple of fellows here about two weeks ago, I think it was, two or three weeks ago. And a lot of questions regarding Christ's death and His burial, His resurrection. And can I tell you this this morning, that Christ did come to this earth, live a sinless, perfect life, was crucified on the cross in our place as our substitute. He was buried, the Bible says, was in the grave for three days and three nights. And then bodily rose from the dead. And I'm thankful we have a risen Savior. Uh, there's a lot of religions out there, a lot of uh, people who worship other people besides the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, those, those ones that they worship are dead in the grave. You can go visit their tombs. But we have a tomb that is empty today because our Savior is risen. He is risen. And uh, I love, uh, I, years ago, I was, uh, a fellow was mentioning to me that in the early church, uh, just shortly after Christ had risen from the dead, that the standard greeting, you know, today we'll uh, see each other and we may say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? But the standard greeting between Christians in the early church were, uh, one would say, he is risen. And the other would respond, he is risen indeed. And that was just their normal greeting. I, I'll tell you, I think there ought to be a, a revival of that among God's people. That every day of every year, Brother uh, Roberts and I were talking just before the message, I'm thankful we have a day that we can set aside. I really am. But, you know, we ought to rejoice in the resurrection every single day. Every single day. Because without the resurrection, there is no salvation. And we thank the Lord for it. Well, let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 21. A lot of things that I think would do us well to be reminded of. None of this is new. Uh, it's an old story. But aren't you glad that every time we tell it, it seems to get sweeter and sweeter. 
I think uh, the writer of the song, I love to tell the story, um, pen the words, what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. And uh, I'll tell you, I don't know that there's a time that we come and reflect on what the Lord has done for us that we are just not overwhelmed. I, one of the devotions this week, we were talking about our cups being full and running over. And I'll tell you, you can't think about the death the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ very long without having your cup filled. It'll get to the point where you just can't hardly contain it anymore. And uh, very excited about it. Let's look together in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem <coughs> and were come to uh, Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, uh, Olives then sent Jesus two disciples saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought an ass and the colt, and put, them, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and <clears throat> that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the ta tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And to said unto them, it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a few moments. And we're going to look at a couple of things here at the early part. And then we're going to move over to chapter number 26. But I want you to notice several things here regarding the first part of this. And the Bible says in verse number 4, All of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. I, I will say this, there's, there's a, a lot of folks out there that claim to be agnostic or atheist. They, they uh, know that there was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, perhaps. But can I tell you this, one reason that we can rest assured that not only was he just a man, but he was the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, <coughs> is because he fulfilled every prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that the Lord Jesus Christ did, He did by way of fulfilling prophecy that He could validate who He was to people. We find in verse number 4 that all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. We also find in verse number 6 that Jesus had commanded His disciples and given them a very specific set of instructions probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to the disciples. I mean, they're going to walk up to a strange couple of animals and just take them and not ask anybody for them. And if anybody stopped and asked them, they were to tell them, the Lord hath need of them, and the people were just going to let them pass. And notice what the Bible says here in verse number 6, as strange as that may seem, and I've often wondered if I would have been there in that day, if I had been one of those disciples, I wonder how I would have felt on the way to get those those donkeys. I wonder how I would have felt thinking, boy, I wonder what the farmer's going to say that owns them. I'm getting ready to take these things just without even asking. But notice what this says. The Bible says, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Oh, that we would live in a day where we would do what the Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to do. And verse number 8 I like, and it says, and they, uh, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
I've said so often before that there are two things that will change our lives as Christians, and that is when we see God as He really is and when we see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I will say that we need in the day that we live to have a renewed view of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a renewed view of who God is. We, we so often minimize Him. And, and, and this is the amazing thing to me, that this is the God of the universe that has come and placed Himself in this situation. He's now lauded and glorified at this point as these people come and say, Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to notice that when Paul wrote of the Savior in Philippians chapter number 2, in fact, just take a moment, hold your place here. We're going to come back to Matthew in just a moment. I want you to see what the Lord is referred to here in the book of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number 5, of Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to look at this mind for a moment here, and Paul's going to describe it to us. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Can I tell you, there's only one person that can claim to be God and not think that he's overstepping his bounds, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other man that claimed to be God is overstepping his bounds. He would be robbing from the glory of God. He would be blaspheming as the Jews looked at. And the truth is, he was accused, wasn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ was accused of being a blasphemer, that he claimed to be the Son of God. But it was only blasphemy if he was not. And we find that he was, because the Bible tells us this, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but notice in verse number 7, but made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It took, I think, a, an unexplicable amount of love, a love that I could never fully understand, I don't think, for our Savior, for our God, our King, to go to the cross of Calvary. But have you ever thought and wondered how much of a love it took for God to just simply take and set aside His Godness for a moment and become man. To be made in the form of a man. To be taken in the place of a servant. To take His will, which has always been ultimately supreme, and to lay it aside and say, I don't want my will, but I want the will of the Father in heaven. That took an awful lot of love. It took an awful lot of humility. Notice in verse number 8, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. It's amazing to me that when the uh, disciples were trying to uh, defend him and people were uh, coming to arrest him, that Jesus said, I could call out to my Father and he would send legions of angels. He would send legions of angels. But the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one that created the universe, loved you and He loved me enough that He was willing to take all of that and lay it aside and come down to this earth and be in the form of a man and humble Himself to the point of saying, I'm going to suffer the most humiliating, the most painful of all deaths so that I can cover the sins of this world. What a great God that we have. I don't understand fully why He's done what He's done. In fact, I often think of why He would allow us the opportunity for salvation, and yet He does not offer that same opportunity to the angels that fell. The Bible says in verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given a name, Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is His title. Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want us to come back now in Matthew chapter 21 and understand this, that 
even though these people are now shouting Hosanna in the highest and that he has been exalted in this point, it's going to be but just a short period of time later that these, these folks that are so excited about the Lord right now are not going to be anywhere to be found. And there's going to come a group of people who are going to take and create great humility and great suffering. For five chapters, we find the Lord Jesus Christ doing all of the things that He can at the very end. He knows His time is short. He shares parables. He meets with His disciples. He heals some people. We see that there are certain things that He wants to do right at the very end. He has some time with people that He loves and cares for. He sits and allows the alabaster box of ointment to be broken, to be anointed for His death. And that brings us to chapter 26. I don't mean to brush lightly over all of those other chapters, but I want us to understand the context of this story. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, when all of these things had transpired in those five chapters, He said unto His disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. And the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment imported on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment onto my body, she did it for my burial." Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, uh, she, he told before, uh, told before a memorial of her. And here we are over 2,000 years later still speaking of the woman who took that alabaster box of ointment. When one of the, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests, and he said unto them, what will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you, and I will deliver him unto uh, uh, And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dipped dippeth his hand with me in this dish, in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It hath been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, it is, I, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it. And gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Hebrews chapter 6 and 7 and 8, we find a, a much more detailed account of the New Testament, the fact that 
God is establishing a new covenant. The old was imperfect because it was based upon the law. But the new covenant was based upon grace. And covenants were an amazing thing. I've shared so many times over the years, and if you've heard this before from me, just bear with me because there may be some that haven't. But one of the great things that God made early on in the history of man was this thing of covenant. It was something that God had put into place. And covenants were not to be broken. It's more than a promise. Covenants were literally, you could uh, suffer the, the death if you broke covenant. That's how serious the covenants were. Over the history of the Israelite people, God made several covenants. God made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant uh, with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. And numerous times we find that there were covenants that God made. When it comes to His crucifixion, the Bible says that there's a new covenant that is made. The covenant was made when two parties came together and they would decide they were going to enter into a covenant together. There was always a sacrifice. They would take the animal and they would divide the animal into two halves and allow the blood to pool between them. The men would be at either end of the sacrifice and they would begin to walk alternating and meeting in the middle, standing in the pool of blood. They would then express the blessings and the curses of the, of the covenant. And this was where they would say what they were going to do for one another and this is where they would say, what would happen? And what they were saying is, if I break covenant, what, let what has happened to this sacrifice happen to me if I break covenant. They would at that point exchange several things. They would exchange uh, cloaks indicating that the possessions that they, they had were now shared between the two of them. They weren't ours, you know, his and his or theirs and theirs. It was ours now. All their possessions were to be shared. They would exchange weapons belts. And in essence, they were saying that our defense will be to the point of death of our, our person that we're entering the covenant with. That they will be our protector. They would exchange names. Isn't that interesting? The Bible tells us that when we get saved, we get a new name written in glory. I'm thankful in this life we get the opportunity to bear the name of our Savior when people call us Christians, the little Christs, the Christ ones. And I tell you, we ought to live a life that reflects that, amen? Being a Christian doesn't mean being saved. It means we're like Christ. They would then take a knife and they would... Uh, cut the hands or the wrists and they would intermingle the blood saying we are now of one flesh and one blood. In fact, a lot of these things still practice today and we don't even understand why because we've lost what covenant was all about. Many of the things we do in a marriage ceremony are residual and left over from Old Testament covenant. The procession is very, very important. The walk of the covenant the joining of the hands, and while we don't always cut the hands anymore in society that we live in, that's representation of covenanting. By the way, years ago when you made a deal with some man, you would shake hands to seal the deal. We were saying that even though we didn't cut the hands, we were entering covenant with them, not to be broken. They would cut the hands, and then as they would intermingle the blood, they would say, now we are one person. We've become part of each other. We have the same blood flowing in our lines. And, you know, the Bible tells us that when we get saved, we become part of the family of God. Well, what an amazing thought. Have you ever thought about that? The family of God. We become heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ because of a covenant that was made, the new covenant that was spoken of in the book of Hebrews. Then they would reach down and they would take some of the dirt or some of the ash where they had roasted the, the uh, sacrifice and they would rub it into the cut. And it would make a, an indelible mark. And from that day on, uh, any time a man would see that cut, they were known as the covenant man. And can I tell you this? When we get saved, God ought to put a mark on us. And when people see us, they say, there's a man who's been saved. 
because of the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be a mark put upon us that is indelible, unmistakable. When they were done, they would finish, they would exchange presents and gifts and indicating that the, the blessings of, of one another to each other. They would finish by rotating and going around the opposite ends of where they started. And uh, someone has mentioned the fact that if you were to look at the walk that they do from overhead, it makes the sign of infinity, the idea that this covenant is to be an eternal covenant, not broken till death separated or parted. By the way, that's the way a marriage ought to be. Amen? It ought to be a covenant. And we find that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the surety for this new covenant. Because I'm going to tell you right now, neither you nor I can ever keep covenant with God. We're always going to be destined to break it. And because the penalty for breaking covenant was death, there would ever, never be a hope for us. But I'm thankful that the Lord stepped in one day and He said, I'm going to walk that covenant walk. I'm going to be the one that takes that lonely walk up Golgotha. His body was pierced. His hands were pierced. And He gives to us a new name. He allows us to take His name. He's told us that He will be our protector, our defender. He said, I will supply all of your needs and everything that is at God's disposal is available to us. Somebody has said of grace, if you were to take it as an acrostic, that it stands for Christ, or, or uh, Christ, uh, I'm sorry, God's riches at Christ's expense. You and I have access to all of the resources of Almighty God. Not because we have earned it, not because we have kept covenant with God, but because the Lord Jesus Christ was our surety. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. That when I break covenant with God, the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward. And He says, I'm the guarantor of that one. I'll take care of that one. Then they would get done with the covenant and they would eat a meal together, usually of the sacrifice. They would roast it. And they would eat this meal and from time to time, it was known as the covenant meal. By the way, the fact that we have a reception many times after a wedding is, is no mistake. There's a reason for that. The reason why it's become tradition for the bride and groom to keep the top tier of their cake and put it in the freezer and on their first anniversary they're to take it out and to eat a piece of it. It's left over from the covenant. The covenant meal was to serve as the reminder of the covenant. And from time to time they were to partake of a meal again for no other reason than remembrance of the covenant. This meal that the Lord is sharing with His disciples before the brokenness of His body, He says in verse number 28, For this is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, man. One of these days. We, until it happens, we have the privilege in our churches to have what we call the Lord's Supper. the reminder of the New Testament in His blood. It's the covenant meal, the thing that we look at from time to time to bring to our hearts the covenant that God has made for us on our behalf. The fact that our Lord and our Savior is the surety of that great covenant. 
He says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. What a wonderful, wonderful picture this is. I want you to notice in verse number 31, Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Can I tell you, we learned something from the life of Peter. No matter how much our love for the Lord Jesus Christ is, and no matter how much we believe that we will remain faithful, there are opportunities for you and I to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking the other week with a couple of men. I'm thankful we live in a day where we are not persecuted and martyred for the faith that we believe in. I've often wondered if it comes to a point where I have to choose my life or my faith, that I would remain faithful to death. But the truth of the matter is, while I may think that, we never know until we're in the situation. Peter was not yet tried and tested in this. And he says, Lord, even though it brings me to the point of death, yet will I not I forsake you. I'm not going to forsake you. Even if it costs me my life. But we know the story, don't we? Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even to the, unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again. The second time, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. I don't want us to get this mindset, and I've heard some people say this, that because our Lord Jesus Christ was God, that He was able with His might and His power to not experience the sorrow and the pain of death. But what we understand from Scripture according to Philippians chapter 2 and other passages, that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid aside that part of His Godhood and He is a Savior, the Bible says, who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's not ignorant of those things. He has, he has actually felt the sorrow. He has felt the pain. And there is nothing that you and I experience in life that our Savior does not fully know exactly how we have felt through them. It makes it easier to come to a Savior who is fully acquainted with our griefs. Surely He hath carried our griefs and borne our sorrow, Isaiah chapter says in chapter 53. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Bible says this, He went away, the, or He left them in verse number 44, and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, each time coming to the Father and saying, if there's any other way, if there's not any other way, then Thy will be done. What a hum humility and what a, a humble spirit. What, a, what an obedience unto death that the Bible speaks of. 
Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with sores and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest's ear and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up thy, again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. In the same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out against, as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. We're quick to judge Peter. But you know, the Bible says in verse number 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will, not I, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said what? All of the disciples. And then we come over here to verse number 57, or verse number 56. Then all the disciples, what? Forsook him and fled. It'll break our hearts. Here are his disciples that, to be honest with you, when I look at their lives, I look at them as men of great faith. In fact, they saw with their own eyes the miracles of our Lord. Peter, of all people, walked on water because of his faith. And Jesus called them, O ye of little faith. These men said, Lord, we'll not deny you even to the point of death. But yet, we find that they forsook Him and fled. How often in our lives, when trials come and we're put to the test for our faith, people begin to criticize or ridicule us. How quickly and easily we tend to allow it to go on. We turn from Him. We flee the situation. We're not willing to stand with Him outside the camp. We're not willing to stand with Him and bear the shame and the reproach. The man who wrote the old rugged cross talked about the fact that as a Christian that the shame of the cross and its reproach we should gladly bear. But we live in a day where that's not very true anymore. We don't carry the cross. We live in a world where we deny Christ. Oh, maybe not verbally, but in our life, in our actions, the way we live. How many times we forsake Him and we flee. These men of great faith who had promised that they would not depart from Him even to the point of death have now fled away. Can you imagine the heart of the Savior at this moment? That the very dearest, those that were closest to Him, have forsaken Him. They've walked away. They've, they've fled in His moment of need. Don't tell me that our Savior doesn't understand the trials and the heartache that we have. For I believe He's felt it far greater than we ever will. 
verse number 57, it says, And they that laid hold on Jesus led away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. Went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses? Uh, what is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you hereafter, shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need we have witness of? Uh, what further have we uh, of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and, and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face, and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands saying, Prophesy unto us, Thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now Peter sat without in the palace. And the damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied uh, with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. I like this, for thy speech bereath thee. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our close proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ would affect our speech? Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Notice this. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let me ask you this question. When we deny Christ, and it will happen, how do we respond? Is there a conscience involved? Is there pain? Is there heartache? Or do we just go on about our business? Next week, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord willing, if He tarries His coming, and we're allowed to meet together, either here locally or on streaming. Lord willing, we're going to speak of Calvary and His burial and His resurrection. Until then, I wonder if we could ponder this. Are we denying Him? And when we deny Him, the answer to that is obviously yes, we do deny Him. All of us do to some degree at some point or another. And when that happens, what is our response to that? I, I hope that we still have a sensitivity to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray and I hope in my life and I hope in your life that we still have opportunities where the Lord Jesus Christ causes there to be an uneasiness in our spirit, a sorrow of bitterness, where we come to the place and realize that no matter what our best intentions no matter what our best commitments to the Lord have been, we failed Him. And how do we respond to it? Well, I love the story of our blessed Savior. It breaks my heart to hear what He went through because I realize that He did that because of me. 
And I have often thought this thought, that if I had been the only sinner, if everyone else in this world did not need a Savior and I was the only one, that He would have still gone to Calvary just for me. Can I tell you this? He still went to Calvary just for you. I believe that while He was on the cross, He could look down through history and see every single one of us. He could look down through the future and see every one of us. From the beginning of creation until the end. And I believe His heart loved every one of us. So much so that He was willing to endure, the Bible says, the death of the cross. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that we have a Savior. When I think of what my sin has cost Him, I want to leave you with this thought and we'll be done. When I think of what my sin has cost Him, how can I ever make light of it? How can I ever get to the place where I justify it and allow it to reign in my body or to have dominion over me? Why is it that I do not come to Christ every day and crucify my flesh anew? To bring it into captivity and subjection. To say, Lord, I, I have sinned. But it ought to break us. It ought to have us in a contrite spirit. Why is it that we live in a day where we can so carelessly and casually sin and no conviction come? And the truth is, it's because we have lost the price that our sin cost our Savior. Oh, that we can keep this in mind. I hope we don't wait till Palm Sunday to reflect on this truth. I hope we reflect on it throughout the year, every moment of every day. When I realize what my sin has cost Him, to be contrite and to come back to Him once again and say, Father, please forgive me. To be broken over our sinful condition. <laughs> How often times when Jesus or God appeared to an Old Testament saint did they offer their words of expression that we are unclean. We are unclean. We live in a day where we've lost that. We feel that we can stand with arrogance in the presence of God. And while I can tell you this, we can stand with boldness because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We can never stand with arrogance. We can never stand in our own merit and think that we are well off, that we are increased with goods and have need of nothing. And we must come to Him and realize that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked and that we have absolute need of Him. Don't miss next week. I'm excited. I am so excited to think about and to teach on and preach on the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what an exciting thing. Our hearts swell. It brings sorrow to our hearts to realize what it's cost Him and what a price He's paid. But, oh, the joy to know that He was able to rise victorious over sin, hell, and the grave. So much so that we can say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It helps us to go through the coronavirus as Christians, not fretting. Because one day we know we're going to be with Him regardless. What a joy that is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word and what it teaches us. Lord, as we have looked at this, and the half has not even been told. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I don't know that words could ever do justice to the price that it has been paid, the cost that it was to you for our sin, the sorrow, the abandonment, the physical pain, the emotional pain, and the greatest pain I believe you could have ever experienced when your father had to turn his back upon you. Lord, I pray that you would help us never to justify our sin. Lord, may we not ever get to the point where we just brush it off lightly as if it's no big deal. But 
that we will come to you with a contrite spirit. We will seek for your forgiveness once again to restore that fellowship and relationship with you. And I pray that you would help us as we think and put our hearts and thoughts on the resurrection next week. That you will use it to encourage us to walk humbly, to walk in, in, in integrity and in character, to walk in such a way that we are striving to glorify you to a lost and dying world, to lift you up, to point men to you. I pray that you would help us to have such testimonies and such life that we would be able to point them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all for tuning in today. And uh, we'll have our 1 o'clock service here in just about an hour. And it might start uh, a few minutes early or a few minutes late, so you may want to tune in uh, a little bit early just to make sure. Thank you.